He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I'll once again be your host. I'm joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. I'll jump in first. This, this week made my first return trip back to the movie theater last week, and I did not die. So this is a, it's a strong start. Not, not yet. Yeah, yeah, not yet. Say, we should give it time, <laughs> two, to, Kyle. two to fourteen yeah. days, Kyle. Two yeah, to I've, days. I've got some time in the incubator, but I saw Personal History of David Copperfield, which was decent, and then I saw Tenet last night. And my mind is still all over the place, so be excited to talk with that about that with you guys once you get a chance to check it out because it's uh, it's Nolan. Say that very, very Nolan. And the uh, Maryland just went to stage three here, so the theaters open here in Maryland tomorrow. We were going to. Arlington, Virginia, before that. Having to cross state lines to watch a movie? What's going on? Pretty much. It felt like back in the day when I did drive to Ohio for fireworks. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense because, like, the virus can't drive across state lines, so you shouldn't do it. Protected by red states, you know. Exactly. Keep away from these uh, blue and purples. So, Case. We're finishing off the, uh, the summer months here down in Texas, so the good news is it's been so hot for so long, I don't have to mow my lawn anymore. So I got a, a nice reprieve for the next couple of weeks. And so I'm just going to uh, I'm gonna rest on that. And I look forward to talking some movies tonight, boys. James? Uh, my wife is currently spray painting indoors. And I'm high <laughs> as fuck right now. <laughs> <laughs> is she uh, turning into a, quite the artiste? Or are we uh, doing some home improvement? No, just home improvement stuff. My uh, my fireplace has looked like shit since we bought the house, and she's like painting the inside of it so that it doesn't just look like a, an electrical socket. And boy, am I high in this office. I'm, I'm far away from it, too, and it just <laughs> reeks of spray paint in here. Warren? Yeah, not too much. Uh, actually decided to, in this time of uh, political upheaval, decided to uh, start watching The West Wing and realize how great things could have been. So, um, if, uh, if a, if a sheen wants to run for political office, I would gladly take him. We've already had a reality show star run for president. So why not an actor next? Hey, I'll vote for the rock too. He, he, Cause he's COVID free now. <laughs> Rigby. Uh, yeah, not much. Just, uh, you know, if it's obviously been a very, very shitty year for all of us. And the fact that the NFL is starting soon. And, uh, if we could just get a, a seamless NFL season uh, during the next six months, I would be very happy. Because the NFL and fantasy, there's nothing that makes me more excited. Um, it's kind of the start of a, of a new year sort of thing uh, with this coming around. So ho- we're hoping that we can get we can have a good NFL season and, and nothing gets messed up. But I'm not holding my breath on that. Before we move forward, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. yeah. Big time. I mean, I think that one hit harder than the normal actor celebrity death because no one knew it was coming except for his inner circle i was about to go to bed like an asshole i was just like probably had been looking at twitter for about an hour at that point 
and I shot up in, in, in my bed and I was like, holy shit. My wife, <laughs> my wife thought something bad happened, <laughs> but well, I mean to our kid or something like that. <laughs> it was a gut punch for real. Yeah. I was not, not happy. To think that he shot all those, all those movies the last four or five years while he was, while he was sick was, was pretty powerful. Um, yeah. And that, that made it even sort of worse just knowing that he went through all that and still persisted. And just because he wanted to give people the, the movies that he was used to making, I guess. Yeah. Man wanted to live his life as well as he could without having it having it be a distraction, so you got to respect that. All right, we got some birthdays. September 10th, Warren. So first off, we got Colin Firth, King's Speech, The Kingsman, 1917, and Love Actually. I think he's older than we think, so I'm going to go like 64. 61. 59. 68. He is 60. James gets oh, that backdoor God. win. His action scene in the Kingsman Part 1 to Freebird in the church, epic. Oh, it's great. Absolutely epic. All right, number two, we got Ryan Philippi from MacGruber, 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 <laughs> Cruel Intentions, and Crash. <laughs> Has to be Crash. Has to be Crash. Oh, Philippi used to be like a god in Hollywood at one point, man. He was in everything in late 90s, early 2000s. He thought his shit didn't stink. Yeah, no shit. 48, Warren. 46. 49. 44. 46. Oh, damn it. Fire over here. He's still in really good shape, too. He, that dude's, he's cut, man. Last one. We have Guy Ritchie, director of Lock, Sock, and Two Smoking Barrel, Snatch, Rock and Rolla, and King Arthur. 55. I'm gonna say 61. 58. Give me 59. 52. So Ooh, I think Rigby had that, the low ball. That was the closest, closest uh, wall going over. So those are the birthdays for today. We had five actors, as always, that we put onto the wheel. Those five actors were Deb Patel, Rosamund Pike, Ben Kingsley, Jason Sudeikis, and Gugu Mbata Ra. As we know by now, the wheel has landed on Gugu. So we're going to get into her background before we do any of that. James, actor trivia. All right, folks, you know the deal here. Uh, two of these things are true. One of them isn't. Uh, we're going to hop right into it. So fact number one, she was appointed an officer of the British Empire for services to drama. Fact number two, her first name in Zulu means our treasure. Fact number three. Fearing imprisonment during the apartheid in South Africa, her father fled the country assisted by the UN, which she now works as an ambassador for. I'm going to go number two is the, the Zulu is the, the lie. I'm going to go with number three, and that, uh, that is Jordana Brewster's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I like that little Brewster action. I'm going with two as well with Rigby. Well, I'm going to pick number one and be the uh, the odd man out. So uh, with the most of you picking fact number two, that is in fact true. First name in Zulu does mean our treasure. The other one that is true is fact number three. Her father was yes. a doctor in South Africa and fearing imprisonment because he was politically involved when he was a student. He fled the country out of fear of being put on Robben Island and was assisted by the UN in which Google actually currently is an ambassador for. And fact number one, she was actually appointed a member of the Order of the British Empire, which is an MBE. The difference is an officer of the Order of the British 
vampire was actually uh, Idris Elba, who was the star of Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh. So well done. Well done. That's well a good done. one. What the difference means is nothing. I looked it up, and even the British really struggle in explaining the difference between an MBE and an OBE, so I don't think it really matters. All right, snapshot in box office history. Case. The challenge on her this week was that we, she's got a lot of movies that either went straight to Netflix were um, you know released in England and we didn't get the box office info, so it's really an incomplete picture. You know the things that stand out is you know she doesn't have a ton of huge budget movies, and it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Rebecca Hall from a few podcasts ago, where she's doing a lot of lot more modest projects. She's only got three movies that have over a hundred million dollar budget, and they're Jupiter Ascending, Beauty and the Beast, and A Wrinkle in Time. Mm. She's really hasn't been a major factor in any box office performances, as far as I can tell. You guys want to take a guess at which of her movies was the biggest bomb in the box office? I'll go last, just in case I'm right. Okay. <laughs> not Jupiter Ascending? It is not Jupiter Ascending. It profited 8 mil. What? Motherless Brooklyn, maybe? Nope. That only lost 8 mil. Huh. Only lost 8 mil. <laughs> only lost 8 mil. Only. Edward Norton wasn't selling that project, I guess. Concussion. Concussion profited fourteen million. Warren, I think you know it. What is it? Odd Thomas made one million off a twenty-seven million budget. <laughs> Lost. Whoa. Twenty-five point nine million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, that that's a tough one. I was more shocked that movie had a twenty-seven million dollar budget. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> the other movie I thought was had an interesting box office was Misbehavior. Mm-hmm. Did that movie come out right at the beginning of the quarantine? It came out over in the UK in March. Okay, so it probably was a victim of of COVID movie theater yep. shutting down. Yep. Right. It hasn't. Yeah, it hasn't come out over here yet. Yeah, it was budgeted for twenty two million, and it's only made seven hundred ninety nine thousand. And somehow, it's still not her biggest box office flop. <laughs> Damn, Odd Thomas. Odd Thomas had lost more money than a movie that got cut down because of a pandemic. <laughs> that's a lot of cash baby all right appreciate your case thank you so before we get into her first feature film I talk a little bit about her early career so pre-2005 she got her start her acting start in 05 um she comes from a, da- a dancing background and she mentioned in an interview she was raised on andrew lloyd weber musicals so i'm sure she was uh standing in line to see cats when it came out in uh, theaters this past december <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully she had more sense than that. But post-2005, so between 05 and 2011, she does a lot of work. A lot of it's really small, and a lot of it, I'm going to say some of it is in the theater. So she's got a theater background. She was in Romeo and Juliet in 05. She played Juliet. She was opposite Andrew Garfield, which is a little fun. And she got a Best Actress nomination for her work on that project. She was in Antony and Cleopatra as Octavia in 05. And then just a slew of one-episode drops in shows like Holby City. She was in the Spook series. She was in Bad Girls in two episodes, Vital Signs, Closure. She entered the Doctor Who universe, which is a very, very big universe. And then after that, you see five TV movies. One's called Fallout. It's not available on Tubi. Um, came out in 08. I did watch. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes. So it's pretty short consumption. The cinematography is uh, exactly what you would expect out of a TV movie, low budget. But I will say, you know, she's young 
actress at the time. You could tell she's the standout of the group. I think, like we talked about with Lithgow in his early career and some of those really crappy projects he was in, it was clear that, you know, she had some acting prowess at that point in her career. So she was definitely the standout in, you know, what are just terrible TV movies at that point. And then following that, she's in a TV series called Bone Kickers in 08. She's in a couple episodes of Lost in Austin 08 as well. Act of God. And then she was in Hamlet as Ophelia in another stage production opposite Jude Law. So early in her theater career, acting with some big time names uh, in the British film and the theater scene, which I'm sure gave her some access into the Hollywood scene. She was in a show called Undercovers as Samantha Bloom. And I note this because J.J. Abrams recruited her for the role because he saw her in the, the play Hamlet with Jude Law. So some of her theater work got her some film and TV work at that point in her career. So all that leads up to 2011, which is where she gets her first feature film breakout role, and that's in Larry Crown, which Craig is going to talk about. It's a 2011 film starring Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. In this movie, Hanks is the producer, director, co-writer, and co-star. So he was doing a, a lot of the heavy lifting. And, you know, this is in the era where, when Tom Hanks was just, he was just crushing everything he did. And this movie was his directorial follow-up to That Thing You Do. The, the movie's got a fantastic cast. It's got Tom Hanks. It's got Julia Roberts, who's the co-star, and she plays uh, Mrs. Mercedes Tano. Gugu's in here. Wilmer Vonderrama, Pam Greer, Cedric the Entertainer. And then it's got really good uh, cameos by Taraji P. Henson, Brian Cranston, Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks' wife, George Takei, and Rob Riggle. Damn. Ooh. When we meet Larry Crown in this movie, he's working at one of those big box stores. And there's this joke. He gets called to the office, and one of his coworkers is like, oh, you know why they were calling to the office, right? To give you employee of the month again. He goes into the office thinking he's going to get employee of the month. We later learn that they're calling him in to fire him. And the reason they're firing him is he's the most senior person on staff, but due to corporate regulations, they can't promote him because he doesn't have a college degree. We learn from different conversations that Larry's down on his luck pretty much in every aspect of his life. He's lost his job, he's lost his wife, and he's in the process of losing his home. Larry's neighbor, uh, played by Cedric the Entertainer, is Lamar. And there's a really funny scene. He shows Larry a college admission book, and he shows it to him, and, and Larry gets excited. He goes, oh, you know what? I'm going to go back to college. Can I take this? And he's like, yeah, 50 cents. So he tries to sell him this, this community college course catalog for 50 cents because he runs this garage sale out of his yard every single day. It's really funny. Fast forward, Larry attends a community college, and we're introduced to all the characters in this movie, one of which is uh, Munson's at the Movie alum. Rami Malek, he's in the same speech class as Larry Crown. Our boy. There's a pretty funny scene to kind of introduce Julia Roberts' character. She walks into the class. There's only nine people in there. She walks in and she starts counting everybody. And she gets all excited because there's only nine people in there. And she's like, hey, everybody, leave. Leave. This, can't, this class is canceled. And everybody's like, what? She's like, according to state law, there has to be at least 10 people to, for me to have this class. As soon as she finishes and she's about to leave, in comes running Tom Hanks. And we get introduced to kind of his his dynamics as a as a bumbling college student. So he's getting killed and everything. He's lost his job. He's got no income. So one of the ways he figures out how to save money is to buy a scooter because it gets such great gas mileage. And there's a scooter parking area. And that's where we meet Talia, played by Gugu. 
and she invites him to become part of her gang. She pretty much is going out of her way to make her cool or make him feel cool. It's a really good relationship in this movie because neither of them want anything from the other person. So it's really kind of fun to watch. You know, overall, this movie isn't going to win any awards, but it is a super easy watch. But here's a couple of things that I, I really did enjoy. You know, I, th- I think Tom Hanks did a great job of casting a fun and upbeat ensemble cast. I think the movie hits on a lot of topics people can relate to. Recession in the economy, uh, being or having a disgruntled teacher or boss. I, I think some people can relate to that. <laughs> Brian Cranston plays just an awful husband. And then one of my favorite things, George Takei plays economics instructor who does two things that just <laughs> makes me laugh all the time. Number one, he wrote his own textbook and he makes all the students buy his textbook for his class. Yes. Vertical integration, bro. I hate, I yeah. hate when that happened. I was like, you son of a bitch. Especially because it's like a $200 book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's never the cheapest one at the bookstore. But you can sell it back to him for 15 bucks. Yeah. yeah they'll give you a good good 15 for it back. Thank you so much. And then the other thing he does is he makes jokes that nobody laughs at. He always has to make the comment like, this is where you guys laugh. It struck some memories for me. And so I, I did enjoy that. You know, overall, I enjoyed watching the movie far more than I thought I would. She's very good in this movie. And if you think about the heavy hitters that are in this movie... She's right up there at the top in terms of, of most important roles. So it was it was a good role for her to start her feature film career. Yeah, Craig, I got to be honest. I think your George Takei impression is actually pretty good. That was spot on. <laughs> yeah. That's really good, man. I can co-sign on that. Yeah, I mean, that's big for her. She's in a Tom Hanks project um, early on in her career, which uh, gives her a lot of access to other folks in the industry. Well, following that, uh, between 2012 and 2013, she's in two projects. She is in... The show touch and then after that the uh we we hit the aforementioned odd thomas the uh the big money maker um she played a character <laughs> named viola peabody the movie is not great it's like something that you could definitely see on uh like sci-fi network but mm-hmm. i love anton yelchin r.i.p mm-hmm. big r.i.p there willem dafoe addison Temlin, Temlin, and uh googs I mean, she's not great in it, but she's not asked to do much. Yeah. She plays a character that's supposed to get a little emotional, and she does. She shows some emotion, and then she forgets this whole omen that she's going to die, and she does shit anyway, so she deserves to get shot in the movie. But she doesn't, (laughs) so whatever. It just seemed like her character in that movie was just so pointless. It was. I was like, we could have had the same movie without her character, and it would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't have been better or worse. It just would have been probably four minutes shorter. Still would have lost $26 million regardless. So <laughs> um, and that takes us to our highest critic score in 2014. And that's a movie called Bell, a period piece, which Warren loves to watch and, and cover. So Yay. Warren, tell us about Bell. <laughs> Guys, I gotta tell you, all honesty, this movie I did not finish. <laughs> I watched the first 45 minutes and then I like fast forwarded through, fast forwarded through. And then no joke. The first 45 minutes took four hours. That's how long that movie felt. I just like almost every single thing about this movie. It blows my mind that this has an 84 critic and an 82 audience. The movie has some historical background. 
Gugu plays a character uh, named Dido Elizabeth Bell. Her mother was a a slave in the West Indies and a, a, a sailor in the British Navy. Banged one out with the mom. He comes back uh, like years later and realizes they have a daughter. The mom has passed. And so he, this being his only daughter, he takes her back to his like family's home and gives them to like his uncle and their family to raise up this girl. All that is true, which is crazy for this time period because the slave trade and everything is still in full force. And so it was a huge uh, social issue to have a person of color in a very well-to-do family home. Uh, she was unable to eat dinner with the family, but she was in higher cl- in standing than the slaves that they had or servants they had working around the house. And so there is this like balance of like she's she doesn't really know where she fits in. But I did a lot of reading on the actual story, and they took so much artistic freedom with this that they they made it a just a fucking dumb movie. It's an abomination comparatively to what happened. Yeah, it turns into a, a love story, and they're like, "Oh, yeah. she falls in love with this guy who is the son of this priest, this preacher, and she turns away this engagement, and you know she falls in love with this guy who's." like an apprentice to her uncle, like none of that happened. She ended up, (laughs) she married a a manservant and they had three kids and you know, it has, it's just, it's just really, really fucking dumb. It really is. And they, they try and use her to show a, like a causation. They're like, she was the one that led her uncle to pass this legislation that 20 years down the line banned the slave trade. The whole idea of this movie was done based off a painting. Yeah. How fucking weak mm-hmm. is that? That is the, that is so dumb. <laughs> I didn't like it. Uh, obviously didn't finish. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> you, gave it, like- you gave it a valiant effort. my friend. <laughs> I, I really did. I really, you did. gave a good review though. You gave us some good. Background. Yeah, that's really good. Tom Wilkinson's in it. Yeah, there's some heavy hitters in there. And I like I like Tom Wilkinson. He's yeah. he's good. What's the dude from um uh Harry Potter the from Slytherin? What's his name? Tom know. Felton. Draco Malfoy? I don't yeah, know. T- yeah, the dude who plays Draco yeah, is in the movie, Tom, Tom, Tom Felton. Oh no I, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the, one of the antagonists of the uh the movie. I saw that in the uh oh, the preview. Yeah. I was oh, like, oh shit. He yeah, it doesn't really I, look like him, does it? But I mean, he, he looks like a douche either way. He's yeah. a douche in the movie with a wig. And now he's gonna he's get a, a douche in this movie. So my, my guy's gonna get typecast in every role he ever tries to take on. So yeah, I couldn't couldn't, <laughs> have, told, couldn't have told you the, these movies. These movies make no fucking sense. I I yeah. will seriously protest if I have to watch another one. So I really hope we don't have to watch anything <laughs> from Kira Knightley. I was about to say Kira Knightley or anything like that in the next. I don't know. Year, give me we'll a year, s- and maybe I'll <laughs> consider doing. doing we'll switch. We'll switch out categories if we have to. To, to give right. you give you a break. 
of all the uh, Munsons for that to land on, for it to land on Warren is like the worst case scenario for yeah. the highest critic score to get reviewed by. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The highest critic score period piece. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like there's no way she's making it out alive. If <laughs> it's Warren and then Rigby. Those are the two you don't want to hit the period pieces. Right. Cause, and I have a low tolerance. I'm third. I'm right in line. I'd much rather watch odd Thomas 10 times over than watch this. <laughs> and I think the the important note about her role in Bell is this kind of this put her on the map in a lot of ways. Lyricon was a, a good role for, her, but Bell premiering a TIFF and going out. This is where she ended up on you know morning shows, doing interviews, and mm-hmm. you know the crowd that really gets behind these types of films. We're like, oh, who's this Gugu, and what is her name? Uh, we need to interview her. So this one kind of launched her. She did have one like scene where she was like, I don't know where I fit in. It was a very much the like Mahershala from Green Book, where he was like, "I'm not white enough, I'm not black enough." You know, that's kind of what she does, and she has this breakdown. Yep, that was the the peak of acting in the movie. Unfortunately, it was thirty minutes in and lasted five seconds. So, so after that, that's 2014. We don't have another movie that we're going to hit from a from a category side for another four years. So, 2014 to 2018 is the biggest chunk of her career. So following Bell, this is where she starts to get a lot of work. And the first one is a movie called Beyond the Light. I watched some clips of it. She plays a pop star. She sings in it. Everybody loved this movie. I'm so upset none of us have watched this because I only watched her shitty movies and now I realize like all the other ones are good and I am absolutely going to give her a unfair grade. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch it. It wasn't streaming yeah, anywhere. Yeah, the but reviews of this are great. <laughs> I watched the, a bunch of stuff on YouTube, and she seemed like she was pretty solid. I saw some music videos. Give her credit there. If all the big-name movies are shitty, that, that's usually pretty indicative. Like, hey, guys, guess what? I did this awesome thing when nobody was looking, but nobody's going to fucking believe me. Well, I can't wait to talk about this next one, Kyle. Well, I was about to say, that that's going to bring us to Jupiter Ascending. Uh, she plays a character <laughs> named Famulus. In 2015. This movie sucks ass. <laughs> it's so bad. The first 10 minutes of it are so cool. The first opening scene is like this awesome chase scene. And then after that is like two hours of discussing global universal politics. And you just fall asleep. You're like, who cares, man? Like, this is so boring. And Eddie Redmayne is talking like, yeah, you know, Eddie, Eddie is so bad. And you have to, you have to turn up the volume because he's talking. And then all of a sudden he screams and like blows out your speakers. Yeah, he just randomly fuck? yells at the top of his lungs. I don't know what you're going for, dude, but this stinks. <laughs> it's the character they wrote. I think that cast just saw the Wachowski's name attached yep. to it. It's like, I'll do it. And then realized that it was, it was kind of like speed racer. It was just a fucking disaster. Yeah, there was a run of movies like that. There was like Valerian and the City of Planets or some yep. shit like that yeah, that yeah. came out. That movie was garbage. And then, you know, all those, all those like, oh, we built this, we built this universe, and we got these people who suck ass at everything. Let's yeah. go ahead and film them. Tomorrow with with uh, George Clooney was another bomb. That that also. Mm-hmm. And Gugu's role, she was like the tenth, tenth. I'd say tenth to twelfth most important character in the movie. It's pretty inconsequential overall. I mean, it's a sci-fi movie that she's in, but it's not a good one if you're going to pick one in terms of just picking roles. So I'd rather, I'd rather watch Jupiter Ascending than watch Bell. <laughs> <laughs> at least you can laugh at Ju- Jupiter Ascending from time to time. 
Truth. Because uh, Channing Tatum is trying really hard. Really, really hard in that. Yeah. And I don't like Mila Kunis as an actress. I've never have. I just There's not really anything she's in that I'm like, oh, that's good. So, a little preview if we ever cover her. I don't think I don't think she's great, but she's got some like in uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Her role in that was great. Yeah, I guess she's all right now. But that that's picking that's picking and choosing. <laughs> like, yeah, go ahead. Percentage. Yeah, I'm, we're on the same page. Yeah. After that, it, she picks what I would say is a much better role, and that's in 2015's Concussion. She plays alongside um, Will Smith as Prima Matuso. It's been a couple years since I've seen it. Watching some old clips of it. I think she does a pretty good job in a dramatic role supporting Will Smith's character in this movie. I never saw this movie because it's apparently slander against the NFL and all the good good things that they represent. And in no way would they, in no way would they defraud uh, the, the populace and uh, damage the lives of their employees. Yeah. But I, I never saw this, not because I actually believe that, but because uh, I could read, I could read an article uh, in in 10 minutes and kind of get that over with. You get the gist from it. It's just a dramatization of it. I think there were a lot of NFL fans who were uh, going through some cognitive dissonance watching it, which is probably a lot of what was going on, because I love this product. Now, this is obviously before Colin Kaepernick came around and people got all up in arms about other issues related to the NFL. Um, but this one was uh, you know, pretty core. And I was surprised at the time when they released it that the NFL didn't yeah. put up more of a fuss. Maybe they did behind the scenes and we just didn't know about it. But pretty scathing on the NFL. I remember thinking that it was gonna they were gonna like ban their their trailers and stuff during the games. And I, from what I remember, they aired ads during the games. To Warren's point about how the NFL is uh, innocent here, um, they've already agreed to almost a billion dollars in settlements. So that. Definitely is the actions of a very innocent organization. <laughs> it's all PR, you know? Just getting, <laughs> getting that out of the way. With a B. Billions Donations. With a B. In 2015, she was the title character in a stage production called Nell Gwynn. Again, got another nom for Evening Standard Theater Award for Best Actress. So tends to do well on the theater side, which I think is a trend. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. She was in The Whole Truth 2016, Free State of Jones, which we mentioned last episode, talking about Mahershala, that bomberoo. And then in 2016, I think she she became uh, at least a face, I'm not going to say a name, but a face to a newer audience when she was in the San Junipero Black Mirror episode. I, I went and watched, and I th- it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I love that that um series and that is far and away uh widely considered the best episode of the series i think they're like five seat five or six seasons in and that episode won multiple awards it actually won two emmys it, it's far and away considered the best one yeah her and mackenzie davis what was the plot of that one again it's an alternate reality that you can tap in like tap yeah. into as you get older it's essentially like if apple owned heaven and instead of, instead of yeah. taking a shot at what the afterlife is like, you can put your subconscious in what you know the afterlife could be like. And it's the one like Black Mirror episode that's actually like positive. Yeah. She ends up finding love while she's like testing it out with someone who has already passed on. And she ends up like marrying that person in the afterlife. It, it, it's really enjoyable, uplifting episode because most of them are super depressing and dark. Yeah. <laughs> So Black Mirror, 
she pr- pretty important episode. To give her final compliments on it, she's great in it. Uh, for someone who I didn't actually know who she was prior to the wheel deciding that uh, we're going to cover her, when I saw that was her, it's, uh, her chemistry with the other lead actress is what makes that episode go. You know, yeah. it's 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 just really well done. And it's her first of a few LGBTQ types of roles that she's into. Because mm-hmm. she is great with Mackenzie Davis, who is, I think is also an underrated actress. And some of her other projects are good. 2016, we, we see another movie that, uh, you know, we've talked about on previous podcasts with another Munson's alum. And that's Jessica Chastain and Miss Sloan. She plays Asmi Manicharian, who is the person that Chastain's character essentially manipulates to uh, mm-hmm. get what she wants. So I just I just actually watched the first hour and 40 minutes of this right before starting this because I was like, I know that everybody else loves this movie. And so if I'm going to watch the one thing that people have already spoken really highly about, it would be this one. She does do a good job in this. Um, yeah, she doesn't have a huge role because it is so heavy Chastain. Lithgow is in it, too. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. This is number. Yeah, we got three. This is the one. This is the only uh, movie in the. Months is the movie universe that has three alums in it. I doubt that. I bet there's one that has others. No, I don't know, man. I'm sure there is, but I, my wife texted me because I was like, you keep watching this. I'm going to go downstairs and start start recording this. And she was like, the ending of the movie is pretty good. You need to make sure you watch it. She was like, but but Googs doesn't really do too much except for like stare at her across the courtroom. And I was like, okay, I kind of get that. <laughs> Her relationship with Chastain's character is some of the more like tense moments in in the movie. Yeah, um, but it is it, this is like when Chastain was on like the rocket ship to stardom, so she is every part of this movie. And then between 2016 and 2019, uh, she is in a Netflix show called Easy. She plays a character named Sophie. She's only in two episodes, and they're in one in each of the seasons. So it kind of continues the storyline. But I think the important part is uh, she plays a character who is dating uh, James in the show, a.k.a. Jake Johnson. And then finally, uh, she was in, as we mentioned earlier, she's in the remake, or I guess the live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast, plays Pomet, which is, what is, would you describe her character as? Uh, oh, fe- it's, uh, she's, she's it's a, like a feather duster. She's a, it's feather, a feather duster, duster. Yeah. yeah. It's a <laughs> <laughs> little voice acting from her with a French accent. That's the uh, extent of it. The movie was pretty good. I'm going to be yeah. honest. I, it was, it was better, than, better than I expected, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was pretty Agreed. good. That leads us into 2018, which gets us into some doozies of movies. And that we're going to start with her lowest critic score. And James is going to talk about Cloverfield Paradox, which we have discussed in the past a little bit when we talked Chris O'Dowd, but not to this level. Cloverfield Paradox is the third installment in the uh, Cloverfield universe, which is three movies that have actually been all produced by J.J. Abrams. I'll start by saying I loved the first two Cloverfields. I absolutely loved them. Uh, The first movie came out in 2008 and was kind of like a found footage style sci-fi thriller. So it was like a mix of the Blair Witch Project with like a monster movie like Godzilla. Awesome. Super unique. Um, and anytime like a good monster movie comes out like that, I'm, I'm pumped because they're usually pretty crappy. Um, the second installment came out in 2016 and is completely different than the first. The second one is like this intimate psychological thriller about a young woman who wakes up after a car crash and she's locked in a cellar with a doomsday prepper, like insists that he saved her life and she can't go out because the world's uninhabitable. 
because uh, there was a, an apocalyptic catastrophe. And the whole time you're trying to figure out, is he full of shit or not? The reason the movie works is because John Goodman plays the doomsday prep. And he is unbelievable in that role. There isn't like yeah. a moment in the movie that he doesn't like fill with tension. Um, it's only loosely tied to the first movie. And again, it's uniqueness is what made it great. So I was super pumped for this third one to come out. Third one stars Gugu and is a completely different movie again from the other two. Uh, this one is a group of scientific researchers on a space station attempt to harness new energy source called the God particle only to unleash unforeseen issues that actually tie to the first two movies. Uh, I can just skip to the end of my review and just so we can talk about the funnier aspects of this movie. Uh, this movie's different from the other two that it completely sucks ass. <laughs> Gugu's character along, no dude it's so bad Gugu's character along with every other character has no depth whatsoever good cast is completely wasted to be fair she wasn't good in this either no one's good in this like they're all making the same faces and the same tones and at no point do you care about her feel any chemistry between her and her uh, other actors on the cast there but so now let's talk about the funny parts of the movie. Uh, and if you guys have seen this, please hop in. Uh, I'll just go through some of the funnier scenes. Uh, one is the entire movie's plot is revealed with the first 10 minutes of the movie where a random cameo from Donald Logue, uh, he just says the whole plot on TV. Like everything that's going to happen is like, hey, this might happen. That's exactly what happens. It's literally everything that happens. There are multiple aspects of the movie that never get addressed. Like uh, one of the astronauts is Chinese and she speaks Mandarin. But everyone speaks to her in English, and she responds in Mandarin, which they understand. So it's either she's just refusing to speak English, and they've accepted that, and she's being stubborn, or we as an audience have to like assume she's like the Chewbacca of the crew, and like they just talk like like she fucking gets everything, and she speaks in a language that the audience doesn't understand. Never address that. All. That's like Ocean's Eleven <laughs> with the little no, the, yeah, the, right. the, the yeah. acrobat guy. Yep. <laughs> why she clearly speaks english like why is she not just speaking english there's a russian character who talks to himself in the mirror like he's possessed and at no point ever again in the movie is it addressed it's just like i know what i have to do no i can't do that oh my god and then like they never go back to that it just never is addressed as a thing that happens but at some point i thought this movie was so bad that it could be good because some of the deaths are hilarious O'Dowd. O'Dowd is the one moment that gave me hope was O'Dowd. His character is nothing but like one-liner jokes, which apparently is something every space movie needs. Is like, here's the guy who's just a wisecracking idiot. I was like, why is he on this trip if he's this stupid? But he gets his arm like stuck in a wall, and it's like a computer glitch style. Like he broke a video game, arm gets stuck in the wall, and then his arm gets chopped off and then starts crawling around like it from the adams family mm -hmm. he's okay he's not dead it's just arm got chopped off wow it doesn't hurt and his arm randomly starts like writing and so they give his arm a pen and his arm writes a message that they shouldn't trust one of the other people on the thing and like again never explained no mm -hmm. one knows what. So I was, what what is going on in this movie the movie sucked it was like there's a legit they steal from so many other space movies Arms burst out of someone's chest. Alien ripoff. There's a legit Harry Stamper on Armageddon scene where, you know, the Ameri <laughs> American's like, we got to get out of here. And then he like fakes. He's like, just kidding. One of us has to stay behind. I was like, that's, fucking, that's Armageddon. I just stole that from Armageddon. And then the other hilarious death scene was 
the Chinese astronaut just drowns in space. Out of nowhere, water starts dumping into like, one of the space capsules, and she drowns, and they never explain it. And the whole thing is supposed to be like, well, you know, sci-fi. I'm like, dude, this movie sucks. And it sucks because I love the first two. And I think J.J. Abrams just got bored and probably bought a script and was like, I could turn this into clothes because it, it didn't work. Is that a Netflix movie? Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the first like major Netflix productions. They dropped it right after the Super Bowl. It was marketed heavily after the Super, before the Super Bowl and probably built a lot of what people have angst for when it comes to Netflix movies at this point yeah. because of how much of a bomb that was. They introduced like you know, the reason she's doing this is because, like, her kids died with, like, 20 minutes left in the movie. Like, you think I give a shit now? Like, <laughs> I don't care. Laugh of my ass off. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping like, you all die. You think I at this care point. now? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, without having to destroy that one even farther than it's already ridiculed itself, we hit Gugu's largest audience gap, and that's uh, another Netflix movie called Irreplaceable You. And Rigby's got it. Irreplaceable You. Like Kyle said, it's a 2018 Netflix movie. Gugu Mbatha-Ra plays a girl named Abby. She is she lives with her fiance Sam, and they have been together for. You meet them. You see the movie opens up when they're kids, and they they're in love with each other from the moment they basically meet. I guess you could say when they're like eight years old, and they they get married, and and they've been together their whole life. Abby seems to have everything figured out. She's got a good job. She's got a good husband or a good fiance, and then she. Th- thinks that she's pregnant and when she goes to the doctor the doctor tells her that she's not pregnant she's actually has a massive tumor cancerous tumor in her stomach and her whole life changes she's basically told that she's she's going to die she gives these quality of life options but it's inevitable that she is going to die soon it's a good build up for a movie and i think they could have done a lot with it the reason that it sucks is because <laughs> Like you typically see in movies when people get these these shocking death like diagnosis, you know, um, unexpected yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, they make the most out of their life. They try to treat people the right way or they try to right these wrongs that they've had in their lives. What this movie does is she realizes that her fiance, Sam, because he's like a very smart, intellectual science nerd, he doesn't have a lot of like people skills in terms of and just like just social skills. I mean, he doesn't know how to like do laundry. He doesn't know how to like cook. He doesn't know how to like have a decent conversation with someone who's not her. Basically she realizes that he's going to be, I don't even want single. Yeah. Single. (laughs) And when she finds out she has a cancer, she goes to this, this meeting group of cancer patients. And that's where the cast is actually amazingly good. It's Christopher Walken. He's awesome. Kinnon, uh, Steve Coogan, Christopher Walken's incredible in it. He was the best character by far. Very pessimistic about everything. And he's kind of like, he kind of plays devil's advocate on all of her suggestions about what she should do for the rest of her life, basically. So where the movie goes crazy is she creates these secret online dating profiles to interview these women that she intends to set up her fiance with when she eventually dies. She becomes this pimp. Exactly. Exactly. Bro, why do cancer movies do shit like this? It's like, P.S. I love you. It's just unbearable to me. You know, I, I can admit, I actually, I actually enjoy P.S. I love you, and I kind of felt similar vibes in this, but at the same time, I didn't. The reason I like P.S. I love you is because I actually like the characters. I didn't like the characters in this movie. Um, I don't know why. I just had a hard time relating to all of them, especially Abby. 
Goog was obviously a very talented actress, but I think she's very underutilized in this movie. I really do. The cast had such potential with Kate McKinnon, with Christopher Walken, with Steve Coogan. Uh, Timothy Simmons from Veep is like actually a really funny character. He plays her. He plays his his nurse in the, or her nurse in the movie. Um, oh yeah, he's good. He's good. But I don't know. I was very underwhelmed by it, probably because it's so sappy and so melodramatic and so sort of eye rolling that, like I said, I think I texted you all and said, "How is this not a Nicholas Sparks movie?" Because that's, <laughs> that's sort of what it feels like. It it does the relationship with Gugu and Walken's characters well. Like when he go yeah. when she goes yeah. at the end and she realizes he's passed away and you know didn't really say anything and she's talking to his wife. Like that part that'll get you. A little bit in the feels, but it's just so unrealistic. Someone who's been in love with somebody for 30 years like she has, like the last thing on your fucking mind should be to create an okay Cupid profile and be like, here, let me let me hook you up. Like that is <laughs> I guess I could see why the writers of this movie think that people would attach to that. But like at the same time, you gotta you gotta be realistic when writing. I mean, I get romantic comedies are all also they're all they're always whimsical and they're always just like kind of ridiculous, but it's 2020 at this point. 2018 is when this movie was made. Like, stop giving these ridiculous plot lines a, a chance, you know? This could have been a Nicholas Sparks movie if they made, like, young Goo Goo, like, some white kid instead yeah. of, like, what's his name? <laughs> yeah. What's his yeah. name who played Marsden? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, young Goo Goo would have been, like, Millie Bobby Brown or something. <laughs> yep. like, They're not even close to looking old. <laughs> That would have been so good. Yeah, hey, hey this is uh, Chloe Gla- Chloe Grace Moretz playing <laughs> <laughs> playing Gugu. I I finished it, but Warren, I had a hard time finishing it. So I admire the fact that you uh, can admit that you turned yours off early. Because yeah, I man, D- DNF, it's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> Did not. So I I definitely line. agree with the uh, the low audience score in this one. Yeah. She leans into the character, but the character is extremely unrealistic, and that just murders the project from the start, unfortunately. In 2018, when Cloverfield Paradox and Irreplaceable U came out, her IMDb star meter climbed up to number 10. What the fuck? Damn. Number 10, top releases, Cloverfield Paradox and Irreplaceable U, and then it drops down to... 600? It drops down to 57 when we move on to the next movie, Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle Time came out in 2018. She played Mrs. Murray, basically Chris Pine's wife. Again, not a major role in the movie. The movie is more carried by Oprah and Reese Witherspoon and the, the young people in the cast, who of which I don't know their names, so I'm going to say the young people in the cast. It's definitely like a women's empowerment movie, young girls. That's This is the first of a couple movies that she's in like that. So that's probably a major reason she joined the cast. It's about taking these young girls who you know have power and they can do a lot more with it and they, you know wrinkle of time is definitely written for kids it's not written for us but she's got a, a tendency to favor female directors too so that yep. that makes sense who is the director of that one ava duvernay yep from a cinematography standpoint just absolutely gorgeous in terms of some of the shots they're able to pull off in that one and some of the cgi work there i mean the color the colors are just crazy in that one but it's all right it's a decent film so that takes us to her largest critic gap, and that is Fast Color. Came out in 2018. So 2018 is a really, really busy year for her in terms of releases. So 2016, 2017, from a working standpoint, very busy. This is my review. It's not a huge gap, though. I mean, we're looking at it on Rotten Tomatoes and 81 from the critics and 64 
from the audiences. So only 17 points, and both of them are above the fresh rating. So generally, both enjoyed this movie. It's directed by Julia Hart. She did a, a different movie on Disney Plus called Stargirl that came out this year that I really enjoyed. Allegedly, this movie is is being transformed into a TV series by Amazon Studios by the same writers so they can kind of draw out the characters a little bit more because they definitely don't there's a lot to it and they didn't get into a ton of it but the concept of the movie is they're in a world where water is extremely scarce at this point Gugu plays a character named Ruth who has these superpowers she doesn't really know how to control them she abandons her family a while ago and is kind of on the run and is trying to hide her abilities because people are trying to track her down. The movie kind of pivots because she runs into a government agent who tricks her and tries to take her in. She shoots him in the hand, basically escapes, and she has nowhere else to go except to go home to her mom and her daughter. Her daughter doesn't know that it's her mom because she took off a long time ago. Um, it's basically a, it's a superhero movie that turns the genre on itself in a lot of ways. Um, and I say that because it's it's not focused on the spectacle of being superheroes. It's really focused on the yeah. characters and these three women. From a, I guess, theme standpoint, it's really just about three generations of women who are using their powers and potential um, and not being afraid to share them with the world. That's really the concept of the movie. It just comes through through superheroes, right? Like every superhero archetype in history. I watched this for the first time probably a year and a half ago. Wasn't blown away. I think the rewatch for me was a lot better because I started to view it from that lens. Women realizing their potential and their powers and what they can do with the world. It takes on its a whole new form and I can get why the critics rated it as high as it did. Her character relies on four key emotions, is what I noted in there. Desperation, frustration, stubbornness, a whole lot of stubbornness, and then hope. That's really what the, the movie pivots on at the end. Um, she does it pretty convincingly. She's the lead in this, bar none. Lorraine Toussaint it plays her mom, and she's, she's an excellent actress, and I think she mm -hmm. does a pretty good job as well. Mm -hmm. But her story is really just one of addiction. She can't see the color, which is kind of like this idea of like, knowing your potential like her mom and her daughter but I, I like what they do with her arc at the end you know they think she's really dangerous she can affect tectonic plates that's what he says but then she brings water and it's raining at the end of the movie and you know it's it's this like enlightenment moment where she's figured out like i can overcome this stuff i can start a new life it's a cool movie it's a small indie project it's you know if you like a different take on the superhero genre it's pretty cool but it's it's not a nine or a ten by any stretch of the imagination. Did you find it to be really slow? Yes. The first time I did, I think this time because I was just locked in in a different way. I was I was less in tune with that. But yeah, it is. It's paced very slowly. Kyle, what you mentioned about it potentially becoming a TV show, I think that is a good idea because I think the story lends itself more a little bit more character development and mm -hmm. a slower pace could work. Because when I watched it, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, wow, this is a very fascinating storyline. I like when people take different approaches to superhero movies. But it was just too drawn out and too slow that by the time that it kind of got where it was going, I was like, I'm a little checked out, man. This is just like, mm -hmm. you haven't built this up enough yet. And for me to kind of care for the payoff as a TV show, I think that could work. Yeah, they can really pull out the... Uh especially the historical side of her family, because apparently it's mm -hmm. run through generations. And then mm -hmm. the idea of, you know, spoiler at the end, where she says, there's more of us, go find them. 
it, they're going to Rome. You could turn that and make that really interesting as they're on the run from the government. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what happens with Lorraine Toussaint's character at that point in time, right? Like, is she does she eventually realize, hey, I hate government testing and sacrificing myself was not a fun idea? And what happens from there? So they, they could take it a lot of places. Uh, I assume they're just going to change up the casting quite a bit. I don't think Gugu's attached to it. So rounding out the last couple of years, she's been extremely consistent with her work. Um, she was in a movie called Farming 2018. Um, she was one of many actors who lent her voice to the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Gugu plays a character that is in nine of the ten episodes of the Dark Crystal, um, the Netflix series. So a pretty prominent role throughout that story. So some more acting from that standpoint, voice acting. I've heard nothing but good things about that show. It's just not like a stylish show I've ever really been into, but everyone who is into kind of like that fantasy style, they I've only heard good things about it. For the folks who were a big fan of the movie, the show was not a letdown. It was a good extension of the universe based on the reviews that I've read. She was in Motherless Brooklyn, Edward Norton's movie. You know, he was really trying to push it into ward season and it just went nowhere. I watched it this past week her role is important to the story it could have been any actress yeah it could have been anybody in that role that's another movie that's written directed produced and starred you know by the same person i remember that movie came out and edward norton was all over the place thing that i found interesting it was based on a book that took place in the 90s Mm -hmm. he wanted to make a film that was kind of a an homage to the old school detective films yeah it's, it's a noir film I found that part pretty interesting, but you know, other than that, it's it's just a pretty pedestrian movie. The soundtrack's pretty cool; like it gives you that tone. But overall, mm-hmm. it's a really long movie. It's way too long. It's like two and a half hours. Yeah. She plays a role in the morning show as Hannah Schoenfield, um, which is available on Apple TV. I think that was what Apple TV's big like first series yeah. for its subscription. Yeah. It was uh, the first series that was like there during launch day when it came out last year. Gugu plays plays the booker in that show. Yeah. If you're not familiar with TV, bookers are the, obviously the people who have to call and, and introduce the guests to the show and all this stuff. They have a very hard job. And I watched the first four episodes, and she does a good job. For someone who used to work in TV, the show doesn't really do a good job of representing that. Just because, you know, it's, it's a drama. It's going to be sort of sensationalized yeah. and stuff. But I think for what her – for what her she does in that role, I think she represents – what a real life booker does very well. Um, and I, I liked her in it. That's good. Craig, you want to talk about the later episodes? Cause I only watched the first four. So. I was watching this. I was interested to hear your take on, on that type of, you know, how accurate the setting was. And, and for those that, you know, that don't know about it, it's, it's, it's written to address the me too movement. Really. Mm-hmm. She has probably the third most important plot role in the, the whole TV show. I'm not going to get any sort of spoilers. The last two or three episodes, I mean, she more or less takes over the show. She's incredible. Interesting. Her role was great because, like Rigby was talking about, and there's, I mean, she really portrayed a, a, a booker that really had her shit together in a really tough job. And we find out later that it is very far from reality. It's a really powerful role. Uh, that she plays in that show. And I was kind of watching the show, debating how much of my time I was wasting. And mm-hmm. then I got to the final few episodes, and I was just 
compelled to know how this thing ends, and she takes over the plot, and, and she does a great job. I think she's going to get a lot of leading roles in major projects because of this. I mean, there are a lot of heavyweights on that cast, based on what I saw. Uh-huh. Carell, Aniston, Crudup. The most recent projects, so these are all our 2020 um, entries. She is in a movie called Come Away. She plays adult Alice Littleton. I saw this at Sundance this year. I will tell you, probably no one will see this movie ever. I don't think it got picked up after Sundance. It was one of two movies at Sundance that were a a new take on the Peter Pan tale. And this is a very dark version of it, which was written for kids, which is why I don't think you're going to see it. Because there are good actors in there. She's in there. David Oliwayu, I never pronounced his name correctly, and a few others. But it, it's probably way too dark for the average child to watch. And because of that, I think that's why I didn't get picked up. The other... Peter Pan uh, take was received a lot better at the, at the festival. So we'll see. Um, maybe you all will get a chance to check it out at some point. I like dark stories, so I didn't hate it, but I can understand why uh, people wouldn't want their kids to watch it. I will tell you this. You did not sell me on wanting to watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not subtle about how it deals with death. And you know how uh, parents are in this country, not wanting to uh, approach tough issues with their kids. So we'll see. And then she is in the the movie we mentioned before, Misbehavior. The movie is interesting. It's true story. 1970 Miss World competition takes place in London. This movie couldn't really decide which what it wanted to address social issue wise. Where this was like the start of the women's liberation movement in the UK. And this was also the first time that a person of color had won Miss World competition. So they are tackling, and she wins, Jennifer Hoston, she plays the, a real-life person, and they have a little tribute to the the main characters. Kira Knightley plays a real person, and she's the main character in the movie. She's more on the, the side of... Uh, women's rights and joins kind of this this group of women who are protesting the quote cattle show that uh, you know this um, the the contest is and you know it's it's an entertaining movie it it definitely is a story that you'll never hear about and the one the one big takeaway is that Bob Hope was a big piece of shit. So, <laughs> is that who Greg Kinnear plays? Greg Kinnear plays him, and he does man. a really, really creepy-ass job. Greg Kinnear can play a creep when he needs to, man. They made Bob Hope off to be, like, <laughs> Weinstein-level creep. You know, it, it's worth a watch. It's only about an hour 45 minutes. I, I think, really, by the end, it's just like, you're not really sure which way they ended up they should have gone. It was two huge issues and they tried to attack them all at once and didn't really give either of them the proper amount of time to address because they're both really, really big and there is overlap. It doesn't hit on it. Would I give it an 88 out of a hundred? No, but I think it's still worth a watch. Yeah. I was intrigued. She's not asked to do much at all. She's uh, in a beauty pageant. She seemed like almost like the the trailer was framing her to be almost the the antagonist in in a way, and then finally Summerland, which I think is also another um, much like misbehavior, uh, an unfortunate COVID 
victim in that uh, I think it was supposed to come out by this point and hasn't yet. There are trailers you can check out online. Based on what I saw, she plays uh, an LGBT character, which would uh, fall in line with other roles that she's played. And that is the career of Gugu Mbata Raw. Let's get into the months and meter. If you're a first-time listener, we examine a number of different things. I'm going to fire through these quickly. We look at their longevity, you know, how long they've been in, been in the industry, how consistent have they been. We look at their pop culture impact. We examine their acting range, their awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life, their comedic chops, and then, and, I, and I'll make this note as well, because I think we probably all take this into account as well. You know, the types of projects that they choose and also their box office impact, which Case walked us through earlier. So with all that in mind, looking at a scale of zero to 100, Case, you're first this time. For better or worse, I don't hear a whole lot about her from a pop culture standpoint. And despite having a, um, a pretty unique name, you know, it's not necessarily a household name. But at the same time, I think she's got the charisma. I think she's got the acting chops. I think she's got the personality to be, you know, a, a pretty high, high flyer in Hollywood. And, you know, I think that's evident in 2018. I mean, when she got all the way to number 10 in the IMDb Star Meter, I, I think that's important. She seems pretty comfortable in, in a wide range of roles. However, she hasn't been put into a big budget, high profile role and had to carry that movie. And so I, I, I would like to see that. And she's probably going to lose some points from me there. You know, awards-wise, you know, she's she's gotten some awards, but nothing stands out. And same thing with skills, you know, her, it's bad timing coming on the heels of our last podcast where we've had somebody that won two Academy Awards, was a rapper, a basketball, did all these things. You know, her her skills outside of, of stage and screen, you know, we don't know a whole lot about. No, the only other thing that I'm going to add is I do like how she champions projects directed by women. And I think that's important. And as she does, and I really do believe she will, as she continues to gain more influence in Hollywood, I think that th- that will be a great thing for the film industry. Uh, all that being said, I'm going to give her a score of 70. Right. Warren. Gugu is a stage performer. She's, she's not an actress. Um, she's, I think she's almost replaceable in just about everything she's done. I had no idea who she was prior to this, so no name recognition. I consider myself to have decent understanding of this stuff. I don't know. She she just seems like you you can. Uh, she's a plug and play. You can find just about anybody to fill in those roles. And I know maybe if I had finished, uh, I wasn't going to say finished Bell, but if I had finished the morning show, maybe I would have something different based off you know what Craig is saying with her actually showing some. I don't know, some moxie or something with a role. It's hard to give like a really high score when my favorite thing that I've seen them in was uh, like a 50-minute TV show episode. I'm not going to drag this on. I'm going to give her a 40. Rigby? I didn't know who she was before the podcast either, but I had seen the San Junipero episode of Black Mirror. That was really good. I got to dig into a little bit of the morning show this week, which I enjoyed. Um, I think I watched a few of her YouTube interviews. She's very like funny, very charming, very sweet. You know, I don't really know, like Craig said, I don't really know what her personality is like outside of what her, what her, I guess, life is like outside of acting and stage and, and, um, in film. But I do think there's an opportunity to, to do something bigger for sure. She's had some leading roles, but I think they're 
sort of been they sort of been relegated to Netflix type movies instead of big budget type movies. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean she can't get those roles for sure. But I think she's got a lot of uh, potential. I'm going to give her a 66. I'll jump in the so I think you guys have hit some pretty key points. I think number one, she gets unfairly compared to Carrie Washington because they look almost identical. Very similar. I think when you compare those two, you know, Carrie Washington had her had her big you know role in Scandal, which put her on the pop culture map, and Gugu just hasn't had mm-hmm. that. You know, she hasn't had mm-hmm. that big role where you're like, that's a name, that's the Chris Pratt from Guardians of the Galaxy, right? So she just hasn't had that, and maybe she will. Right, maybe that's coming down. I will give her some points for she hasn't been acting that long, but she's been consistently doing work. Not that her projects are bad; they're just kind of middle of the road a lot of times. But I like that she's she stayed pretty much on brand from a personal standpoint of the types of people she wants to work with and the types of projects and messages that she wants to push out. Um, I think she's at her best as an actress with tears in her eyes. It sounds kind of weird when I say that, but. Similar to Rebecca Hall, like being in distressed roles, mm-hmm. yep. when she is crying and or almost crying, I think that's when she's at her best as an actor. And the fact she she's got critics love, but nothing major from an award standpoint. So um, with all that, I will note this final thing: she learned her American accent from impersonating characters in the show Friends. I saw that. That was super yeah. interesting. Yeah, that was good. You know, that's where she learned her American accent. So good job, Gugu. Um, so with all that. My score is going to be a 59. And James, finish us off. I appreciate you sharing that Friends anecdote there. Um, I think Friends had a poor representation of Italians, and I'm glad (laughs) he doesn't sound like uh, Janice or Joey Tribbiani. So I could have been insulted, but I appreciate that not happening. You guys have said everything. I think I all the movies I saw of her, they kind of stink, man. Like... I Beauty and the Beast, I thought was pretty good. And that's about it. Uh, that's all I can actually think of that I enjoyed of hers. Oh, Miss Sloan. Ah, that's a lot. Miss Sloan's good. And San Junipero, that's the best episode of Black Mirror, bar none. Name recognition's not there. Word's not there. I think it seems like she's trending upwards with the amount of work she's getting. She just hasn't gotten that right role, Kyle. So I think what you said is pretty accurate. She's waiting for that breakout role where it puts her on the map. Um, and so for that, I gave her a 51. All right. Warren, what do we got? That gives Gugu a 57.2, which puts her at 16th, which is behind Chris Tucker and ahead of Natasha Leo. Okay. And so Chris O'Dowd is still dead last. Yep. Dead Chris last. O'Dowd is still dead last. <laughs> All right. I just want to make sure we've, we've established that fact. And James Marsden is 13th. <laughs> Lucky number 13. Well, Warren, tell us a little bit about what she's got coming. Maybe she's got something coming. Uh, you know, she's going to be in the upcoming Loki series, so it's always good to you know fuck around with that Feige money. You know, make make something happen. Unfortunately, like that is only through going to be through Disney, Disney Plus, and so it's not like a mass release. If it eventually makes it out to another platforms, you know, she may get a little more recognition out there. But uh, she, she's got an un you know unannounced role right now along with owen wilson so i'm really interested to see yeah. uh wow mm-hmm. what's what's wow. gonna happen with him and, uh, <laughs> yeah wow. like her it, her it makes sense like i could understand putting her in there but owen wilson like what wow how do you take him seriously <laughs> what i could see her end up doing is playing 
the love interest of Tessa Thompson. Okay. Mm. That would follow right along with some of the roles she that would that would follow right along. That was just based off of what we what we heard in here. She's also got another movie coming out called Seacole. She it's a a biopic of uh, Mary Seacole, a Scottish Jamaican nurse and heroine during the Crimean War. So another boring fucking movie during the eighteen you know eighteen fifties. <laughs> but uh, yep, yeah, that's that's it. I hope her role in Loki is not just for the TV show. I, I hope for her sake it's not like Rebecca Hall in Iron Man 3, that she uh-huh. she plays a prominent role, but then it extends into the movies after that, because um, I think that will do a, a lot of big things for her career. I can't wait to um, see what on the Owen Wilson side. does in that. Jesus. I guess we'll find out. All right, so for our next episode, here are the five actors we have under consideration. I got pulled from our mega huge list of actors. We have Gene Hackman, Josh Brolin, Margot Martindale, Oscar Isaac, a.k.a. James D'Imperio, Heartthrob, <laughs> number one in your hearts, and Renee Russo. Solid list. That's fellas. a good one. Solid list. There is one name. that one, one spin could fuck it all up, though. And I mean, I know she's a nice woman, but... Margot Martindale is clearly the one that nobody yeah, wants to have I agree. Happen. I agree. Give me Brolin or Hackman. Both of those would be awesome. Absolutely. I don't know a ton of Margot's work, but I know she's been steadily working for a long time. She was the mean mom in Million Dollar Baby. That's- we, we mentioned, I think, off, off, uh, off recording that she plays Dewey Cox's oh, mom yeah, in, the, in Walk Hard. Oh, yeah, so. he kills her. He's, <laughs> she's dancing to the music. She falls out and <laughs> kills her. <laughs> so. so she's got some comedy side there. That'll be there. But Oscar would be good. Uh, how many of you guys have seen it inside Lewin Davis? Great movie. It's fantastic. You guys ever seen that? I haven't seen it because it sounds boring. It does sound boring. Dude, one of the best soundtracks, one of the best soundtracks <laughs> of any movie I've ever seen. It's awesome. It's really cool to see him sing yeah, like that. He's it's really awesome. good in it. And we'd hit a lot of the other ones we've talked about. Most Violent Year. and What other movie did he Ex sing? Ex Machina. In? He sang in uh, oh, the uh, 10 Years Chris Pratt movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and he was, in, he was in a ska band way back in the day. Well, that's that makes him the coolest person on this list for sure. Right? 100%. Yes. He was the interpretive dancer for the Mighty Mighty Bostons. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll take you to the top of Hollywood. I'll just quick, text man. him and ask if he wants to come. He'll be at, the, he'll be at Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, Hackman. I mean, there's a yeah, lot of great movies the there. That's probably the great correct, roles. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the replacements. Renee Russo's in like a lot of action movies from like the nineties. Mm-hmm. She was in the line so. of fire, Nightcrawler. Yeah, she's been in some great Shorty, lethal weapons. Major League. She was yep. in uh Marvel, Ten Cup, like all Ransom. Thomas Crown yeah, Affair. Been in, Hell yeah. Been in some great ones. A lot of good nineties yeah, movies for sure. Outbreak, that one hits a little too close to home, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Serious uh, testosterone boost if we're doing Brolin. He's got some badass movies. Yeah, the Goonies, the Goonies, the Goonies. <laughs> Sicario. I love Sicario. Yeah. That's awesome. Sicario. Yeah. True I love No Country, the too. New, the new one. We'll find out in a, in a week or so, because as always, the, uh, the, the wheel decides. The wheel decides. Except for Margaret Martindale, the wheel decides. <laughs> <laughs> Our next podcast is going to hit September 24th. You know, we'll we'll have fun, whoever it is, uh, unless I guess it's Margot Martindale, and in that case, we'll we'll just have to deal with an angsty Warren Hicks, but we'll make it work. 
As always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munson's? I'll keep fighting wherever I can make a difference. As far as possible away from you. You cross the line when you stop treating people with respect. You're smart enough to know that. You just don't care. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?